صباح الخير جود مورنينج دي ليسنز يو ليسنينج تو راديو 3 سي ار اون 855 Palestine Remembered is Australia's only English language radio program that is totally dedicated to Palestine. We'd like to welcome those listening on 855 and those that will join us on podcast at 3cr.org.au. Thanks for joining us. Stay with us and enjoy the episode. Bringing you the news and views and the untold side of the Palestinian struggle for freedom from a Palestinian perspective. Good morning, listeners. Very excited today. I've got a very, very special show and a couple of very special guests. But first, let me tell you about an upcoming event. It's called Facts on the Ground, Annexation from Jerusalem to the Jordan Valley. Free Palestine Melbourne is going to be facilitating the delivery of a virtual tour from Jerusalem to the Jordan Valley. So you can see the facts on the ground in this era of annexation. The tour will be delivered by 24 Palestinian tours. And the tour will take us from Jerusalem through Jericho to the Jordan Valley. Our tour guide will be, will be Palestinian filmmaker and activist Ihab Afri, who will be joining us today. Ihab will show us how the policy of annexation is being carried out and its effect on the Palestinians who are losing their lands, water and freedom of movement to the Jewish settlers in the West Bank. This will be a unique tour conducted especially for an Australian audience and will give you a greater understanding of the challenges faced by Palestinians in Palestine today. The tour will screen for approximately 45 minutes to an hour, followed by a 30-minute live Q&A with our tour guide, Ihab. The show is going to be on Wednesday, October 7th at 7.30pm Melbourne time. That's Wednesday evening at 7.30pm Melbourne time. To register really easily, go to femelbourne.org fpmelbourne.org. I'll put the details on the podcast. I'll, this is one you do not want to miss. Very exciting. I said earlier on, aside from Ehab, we've also got Andrea Jackson, who's an award-winning freelance journalist. She's joining us. She's previously worked for The Age. She won the Australian Arabic Council Media Award in 2004, which was a trip to the Middle East. And in 2005, she visited Gaza and the West Bank. And earlier this year, she visited the West Bank on an Australia-Palestine Advocacy Network tour. She's had articles published on Palestine in The Age, Sydney Morning Herald, Eureka Street, Independent. And as well, we've got Ihab, who's a tour guide, filmmaker extraordinaire and Palestinian and a very, very strong beard game. You'll see that on Wednesday when you tune in. He's grown up and lives in the old city of Nablus. Good morning, Andrew. How are you? Good, thanks. Salam, Ihab. How are you? Good, fine. How are you? Good. How long have you been running the, these tours? I already started officially in 2011, working in the old city of Nablus, uh, and I start already to share my experience as a, a storyteller about what happened uh, during the invasion in 2002. Since I was 14 years old at that time, and I uh, witnessed witness all what happened at that time when uh, the Israeli army occupied Nablus, they were around like 35,000 soldiers uh, against the old city of Nablus, which is, you're talking about, like, uh, three square kilometers. And since that time, I start already to work in tourism, on what we call it alternative tourism, because we don't have actually uh, official tourism here in Palestine. 
since we don't uh, control our borders and uh, we don't uh, have the freedom of movement and we cannot invite people easily to join us in West Bank and also in Gaza Strip. In 2015, I established what we call it uh, a group of 24 Palestine team. Why we call it 24 Palestine? Because uh, we would like in the future to make this project updating people each second about what's going on in Palestine. Uh, it could be like a, jour a journalism agency as well, a website and also uh, official application helping each foreigner come to visit West Bank since Google map and Google in general doesn't work easily in uh, the Palestinian territories, which is, I mean, West Bank. Just to go back for a second, that incident, the early incident in Nablus that you referred to, that was one where there were a number of children killed, wasn't it? Yes. What's the situation at the moment, um, given that the um, there's a concern about the coronavirus? Is that affecting tours? Are you still able to run tours at the moment? Actually, tourism sector has stopped since the beginning of March. We started early lockdown uh, after they discovered 17 cases in Bethlehem. And actually, the virus is transformed and the people that get infected in Bethlehem it was by a Greek group. So since that moment, they closed uh, all the hotels. So from that moment, we don't have any foreign could come to West Bank and have actual, uh, actually tourism tours, whatever you want to call it. So already all the tour guides, the hotels, they closed and they stopped working since the 1st of March. It must have a terrible impact on the economy and on people's daily lives how's it affecting your family for example about that we we have to let's let's divide tourism for two for two sectors the the, the international sector sector and also the local uh, sector about the international sector we the let's say like the the people they stopped work so we have more than like 200 tour guides officially and also working in alternative tours. So they already doesn't have, they don't have any work anymore. Plus we have the local tourism, what we call it, the Palestinian people, they live in 1948, which is in Haifa, in Yafo, in, in, uh, in Akko. And they already have their own tourism at least two days per week. They visit West Bank and they, like yearly, they have like one billion shekel incomes in the Palestinian territories. And also that got affected so much because the lockdown we had here. So we already we couldn't have any incomes come by that sector. So you could say it's one of the most important sectors got affected by coronavirus. And it will be the last one will open to work again after the coronavirus as well. How is your own family coping? Actually, uh, I am Palestinian, so I, I cannot just talk, like what I, will what I will mention about my family, it will be also applied for most of the Palestinian families. So we like, like my, my brothers and, and, and my family, they are working most of the time in freelance work. So we got affected so much by that work and because already 
many sectors in Palestine closed as well, like restaurants, like advertisements, like all the trading movement as well. Plus, even I have a brother who's working in the PA and since the annexation and the corona uh, side by side working in this time, uh, so the Palestinian Authority cannot pay the salaries for the employers in the Palestinian Authority. So since May, the employers in the Palestinian Authority, they, are, they get paid high, half salary per month, which is, it's affected the capacity of selling and buying as well, the financial and the economical movement in, in Palestine at the same time. So I don't say we are in a horrible situation, but we cannot say also we are in a good situation. So in that way, you, you could see like everyone is struggling in an individual level and also in a group level. With your tours, when you're able to run them, what's the profile of the sort of people that take them? If we want to talk first about nationalities, most of our tours, it comes from France, Italy, Spain. Since two or three years ago, it started also like to have people from Netherlands. This is in general. Some of the people, they come for a solidarity movement, uh, let's say activists. And some people, they, they come like in, uh, in, in an education or studies group. So sometimes they are universities, they are students. A lot of people, they come to visit Palestine and also they stay around three months here to write their thesis about their master degree or PhD as well. Some of those people, they, they come an alternative to religious tours. But since we are talking about that, as a Palestinian, we struggle a lot with the religious groups because they always come by the Israeli companies. So they already control West Bank. They send their tours, they, their clients to a certain places like the Nativity Church in Bethlehem, like uh, to the... Uh, like the shepherd field as well in Bethlehem. So the, like if the program of those uh, religious tours, which is the most income uh, in, in our tours, it goes to Israeli companies. They cooperate with, sometimes with a Palestinian company for one day. So you just have to reach one day incomes by those tours. Uh, and I will surprise you, most of the tourism uh, locations in West Bank in Area C, it's controlled by the Israeli state and the Israeli Ministry of Tourism and Antiques as well. So we don't have any, uh, any authority to run our job by ourselves. So for example, if I bring my groups to, uh, to the Dead Sea, uh, I supposed to pay, to pay taxes, for example, to the Israeli companies they are running the, uh, the Dead Sea, for example. And sometimes people, they don't want to visit those kind of places because of the BDS movement. So in that, in that point, our, limit, uh, our uh, limits of tourism in West Bank, it will be really limited. So at least we have seven days uh, city tours and we have more than 22 uh, hikes or hikes, bath or rail, as you want to call it. But mainly, as I told you, they come from like students and just activists. But when you're talking about real tourism, where we say it's really incomes and it's really 
affect the country in a good way. We, we don't really have authority to have those groups. So if I want to organize, for example, a group to come from Australia to Palestine, I need an Israeli partner to let them pass the airport. Because as you know, you visited Palestine before, and you know, to pass Ben-Gurion airport, it's not really easy for anyone. For the amount of the question you get, you, you, you had in that airport, for example, about security reasons. What sort of permit do you need to be able to offer the tours? And I presume that you have to apply to the Israeli authorities for that? I supposed to have a permission from the PA, the Palestinian Authority, but since I'm not really a company, I'm running my tours by, by alternative community, which is alternative community, social and political, and somehow. So our permissions could be like to create a association and that association, it helps with the tourism sector, for example. But when you're talking about the Israeli Authority, you are not allowed to have any, um, any authority or any tourism like uh, company. So for example, when those companies, the Israeli companies, they brought the groups in the airports, they will never say that groups, they are gonna go to West Bank. They're going to say they are going to 1948, which is what they call it, Israel, and to Jordan. But they will never mm -hmm. mention West Bank. Because in any way, if they will mention they are working with Palestinians, they will deny it all the group. Because they don't recognize there is anything in West Bank to see. That's the first point. The second point, if those people, they will come to West Bank, they will understand there is an occupation here in this land. And that's what Israel always tried to deny in any way for the world to see. I think there's sometimes an exception because I know Australian politicians have been taken on tours of Israel to start off with, but there's also a visit, there's always a visit to Ramallah just um, tacked on at the very end so that they can't be accused of being one-sided and only seeing the Israel side. Are you aware of those sort of visits? There's sometimes those kind of visits, but... Uh, also, West Bank, uh, for the Israeli authority or for the Israeli security, it's, all, uh, it's also divided. So sometimes if they discover you are in Bethlehem or you are in Ramallah, it's fine. But the most important thing, that the blacklist cities for those people, it's Nablus, Jenin, and Hebron. Mm -hmm. So if they, they found out that you were in one of those cities, they will ask you, do you have a friend over there? Why you are in that area? Some people, they could pass easily and they say they are going to West Bank, especially the first time. But if that will continue with the second, the third, the fourth visit, this is also could be a problem. And here I'm talking about individual. But when you're talking about groups and when you're talking about like 10 people, 20 people, 30 people, 40 people, it's something also different. Some people, they could get an official paper, for example, if they are journalists, if they are doctors, if whatever, they could have this official paper and they say, my work is in, in West Bank, so they could pass to West Bank. While if they are, if they are here just for, uh, they are as a tourist, it will be uh, a different way to treat those people in somehow. How long does your tour normally run for? The whole program could start from five days to 12 days. Well, for example, the tour that you're going to take us on by video, what cities or towns will we go through? 
we are planning to make the first episode and in the first episode we'll, we will start since i am palestinian from west bank as you know and i cannot get a permission to to start my tour from jerusalem because uh, i'm not allowed to be in jerusalem so i will start from the east gate of jerusalem which is al-izariya town al-izariya town it's very important area because it's the east gate of jerusalem and it's connected and most of the lands of Al-Izariya it's confiscated by different several times for the project of E1 which is the east one which is the project of uh, of Jerusalem how they can extend Jerusalem to be also part of Jordan Valley and they include Jordan Valley to be part of Jerusalem the second important point uh, it's the wall over there the wall cut most of the lands of Al-Izariya. So Al-Izariya today is just two streets. In front of Al-Izariya, there is one of the most important uh, settlement, which is called Ma'ali Adumim settlement. And in the future, it's going to be the biggest settlement in West Bank as a part of Jerusalem. Isn't it already the largest settlement? Uh, the largest settlement is... It's uh, what we call it, Bitar Eid. It's next to Bethlehem. And the population of that settlement, it's 53,000 people. While Maladumim, it's the third settlement in West Bank now. But like, if they will extend Maladumim to Mishur Adumim settlement, which is next to each other, and Mishur Adumim, it's the industrial area of Maladumim settlement, they will be for sure the largest and the biggest settlement in West Bank, going in the line of uh, 400 meters under the sea level, which is the Dead Sea, all that area as well, they will confiscate it. They already confiscated, like since they said it's area C in Oslo agreement, but that will make that land empty of Palestinian people. They will kick out all the Bedouins in Al-Khan Al-Ahmar. We will pass Al-Khan Al-Ahmar. We will talk to the people as well there. We will show the roads of the schools, how the Palestinian students, they supposed to walk to go to their schools as well. And from there, we will show the east borders of the historical Palestine, which is sharing with Jordan. And why the annexation is very important to protect the east borders of Israel, as they will call it. And then we will go up with our uh, tour to reach Al-Oja. We had the river over there, but now the river is dry because of the Makarot company, the Israeli company. They dig deeply in the ground and they control the sources of the, like the, sources of the water over there. So the, the area there, it's just salty dry without river anymore. And then we will continue up until the last point the Palestinian they can reach in the Jordan Valley, which is Kardala and Bardala and Ain al It's three villages next to each other, and they will be as well confiscated. And then we will move up to a little bit, so we will see Tamun as a natural reserve, and also they will confiscate the mountain and build a settlement over there. So from there we will show many different problems the freedom of movement the water pro uh, problems and issues the palestinian they face over there and um, also the nation 
because the lands will be Israeli, but the Palestinians that are living there, they will not get any Israeli rights, so they will be Palestinians. So this is, will be a conflict. Along the way, are you going to be able to talk to some other Palestinians about in these different areas about how they're affected, and in particular in parts of the Jordan Valley, about how they have to steal their own water back to just survive? I will have a guest. He's working over that area. He's from OLP. And as well, I will have in each area, we will visit a local activist. He's working on that issues. They have already some like documents. They, have, they are following their problems since, uh, since Oslo agreement in that area. So for sure, we will target many local people to talk to them about the situation over there. Excellent. How many checkpoints do you have to go through along the way? Since I will drive from Rambles, I will pass Huara checkpoint, Zatara checkpoint, uh, until I reach the DCO, so three checkpoints, and Zayim is four. I, I guess I will pass four checkpoints just in one hour and a half driving. Do you normally get stopped or held up with your tours at checkpoints? Yes, and I uh, I was close to get arrested two times, and one time they pointed the guns in my face when I was filming in the old city of Hebron because I because I had two cameras and a microphone, and I tried to pass a checkpoint in, inside the old city of Hebron, and they stopped me, and uh, in a moment they pointed the guns in my face. So it was like a difficult moment, you know, like uh, and also you cannot film because it's a closed military zone. You can't film as you go through the checkpoint, but you can film what you want. No, if I will film, I will film in a hidden way. But uh, actually, since 2002, we are under, we are all, as a civilians in Palestine, in West Bank, <laughs> we are under a military, uh, military law. What that means, uh, they don't treat me as a civilian. I am guilty until I prove I'm innocent. So as a journalist or, the, or as a tour guide or whatever, if I just raise up my voice against them and they shut me, they, I am guilty until I found out cameras, witnesses, people, whatever. They prove I'm innocent. So they, there maybe they will judge the soldier he shot me. Have your tours ever had the people on them um, being by Israeli soldiers? Yes, many times. Mm -hmm. Not just me, all the Palestinians, like all the Palestinians, they are working in, the, in these sectors and most of the people, especially the activists, they got denied or they got arrested or, or, or whatever. Even if we try to build a security protocol to avoid all those kind of problems, but we are facing soldiers 18 and 19 years old. And sometimes there is no way to communicate with them. They just have orders and they just want to do what they see is right for them to show their power and show they can control in every area. What's the reaction of the people on your tour when that happens? It depends on their ex experiences because before we start our tours, we are preparing people, even when they are in their countries, which kind of problems they could face. But even when it's in the ground, it's something different. Some people they are calm, some people they get angry, some people they start to cry, some people they, they leave Palestine and they say, I don't know how, as a, uh, how 
is Palestinians can handle this every day in their life. Sometimes, like, like people, they go out and they write books, they write plays, they write whatever they want about the, the, the situation, you know? Some, some of them, they, they come as a tourist and they leave Palestine as an activist because for how much they see unfair situation on the ground. So it's a changing experience for a lot of, lot of people. Do you find that when you're taking a tour and you've got people on the tour that you get treated differently by the soldiers than if you were just by yourself wanting to film? For sure, it, it leaves uh, a good impact and it leaves uh, a protection sometimes. Yeah. Not always, but sometimes, yes. I, I could shout when I'm surrounded by my friends, the, the foreign one, because they could be a protection for me yes. at that moment, you know? Because they, uh, they also... So for, for sure, when I'm surrounded by foreigners, uh, it will be totally different about being my, by myself. This is one of the realities that even though the soldiers are 18 or 19, they're practiced in public relations. And if they're going to do something to Ehab, Andrew, they're going to make sure there's no white people to witness it. Ehab, Andrew, thanks so very much for that. We've only got a couple of minutes to go, Ehab, and everybody's going to join us uh, on Wednesday at 7.30 to watch your tour and participate in the Q&A. Ihab, if you wanted to tell our listeners one thing they can do to support Palestine, what, what's the one thing you tell everybody to do? It's to increase our media. It's to, to work uh, to all together to, to increase the media. The media is the voice for all over the world, you know, like to, to follow what is going, uh, what is coming always from Palestine. Um, when the situation will be better of Corona, at least everyone's supposed to come and to visit Palestine one time to understand what is going on on the ground. Some areas we will not see after five years. We will not, they are they are trying to annex more 30% of West Bank. So maybe in 10 years or in 20 years, if we didn't really raise up our voice and we say no, we will disappear as a Palestinian. Because this is just the first step of the annexation, 30% of West Bank. And after that, they will take more and more. Because until now, Netanyahu didn't decide, and the Israeli state didn't decide what they want to annex at the moment. They already take more lands and more lands and more lands. And for that, to understand that there is a book, it's a Zionist book. I mentioned for a lot of people to read it in my life. It's called They Must Go. This book has been written in the 80s. And this book is to, book talking about the annexation of today. So this is a plan's long-term plan, and it will never finish until they will take all the lands and they will kick all the people out. Thank you so much, Ihab. One of this is one of the great problems for Zionism. You know, it has a concept of being all of the land and democratic and Jewish. And the reality is, it can have two. It can have the land and democratic, but not be Jewish all of the land and Jewish, but it's not democratic or democratic and Jewish and not all the land. And the thing they're learning and the thing they should know, Zionists should know, is the Palestinians are not going anywhere. We're not going to have a second Nakba. We won't allow it. Ihab, thank you so very much for joining us from Palestine. We look forward to seeing you on Wednesday night, 7.30, October the 7th. Go to Free Palestine uh, website. That's fpmelbourne.org. Andra, thanks so very much for joining us and facilitating that conversation. Thank you. And we look forward to seeing you on Wednesday, Heb. Thank you so very much. 
Well, fantastic. I can't wait for that. Make sure you register at fpmelbourne.org, fpmelbourne.org, for facts on the ground, annexation from Jerusalem to the Jordan Valley. This tour will be delivered by 24 Palestine tours. The tour will screen for about 45 minutes to an hour with a 30-minute Q&A with Ihab. Wednesday, October 7 at 7.30pm. That's his coming Wednesday, fpmelbourne.org. That's fpmelbourne.org. We've only got about a minute to go, but just a very quick one from the United States where a congresswoman, Representative Alexandra Osaka-Cortez, she had initially said that she would attend a memorial service for Rabin. It's like Rabin. Many of you will remember him from the White House lawns. Most of you won't know the bloody history of this man and his contribution to the ethnic cleansing of Palestine. Palestinians haven't forgotten who he is. We haven't forgiven him. Alexandra, who is a leader of a new part of the Democratic Party, a progressive Democratic Party, a party that recognizes the Black Lives Movement, the fight for LGBTQI rights, Palestinian rights, the intersectionality of that. She is a leader and a participant in that space. She accepted an invitation to attend that memorial service. Thankfully, she listened to Palestinian voices and when told of the crimes of this man, of the blood on this man's hands, she thankfully did the right thing and cancelled her attendance. Now, this was met with huge uproar in Washington. How dare she say no to Zionism? It's fantastic the increasing irrelevance of the Zionists, of the Zionist lobby party, is a wonderful thing to witness and great to be around. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to share the podcast, tell your friends, and there's never been a better time for free Palestine. And make sure you tune in on Wednesday for Ihab's tour, fpmelbourne.org.